Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. They say that one of the laws of learning is repetition. I do not normally do a lot of that when I'm in a series of messages, but in this series, I think it might be profitable. This series has to do with the Holy Spirit, and I have been focusing on the relationship of the Holy Spirit to believers. And in that regard, I have said uh, a number of different things. For example, the Holy Spirit uh, regenerates us. That's just a fancy theological word for saying he gives us a new life, a spiritual life. He also uh, indwells us. And after that, he seals us till the time when Christ comes back to redeem our body. And that is only the beginning. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now, that is one of the aspects of the teaching of the Holy Spirit that gets a little controversial. Some say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens after we are converted. I think the scripture teaches that it happens at conversion and that the baptism of the Holy Spirit places us into Christ as well as his body, which simply put means we are united to him and we're united to one another spiritually. And then the Holy Spirit does other things in the life of a Christian. He gives us a spiritual gift so that we can serve. He fills us. Now, that's a bit of a problem because the question is, what does he fill us with? And it seems to me that the answer to that question is he fills us with the word and the wisdom that comes from the word. But beyond that, he empowers us so that with the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we have the potential of having power, the power to do the will of God, not just to go work supernatural, spectacular miracles, but the enablement to do what God tells us to do. So, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. And even that becomes a little bit of an interesting concept. It can mean walk in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, which I think Galatians 5 makes clear is love. And it can also mean walk by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gives you enablement and power, so that we must depend on him for that power, and again, to do the will of God. Now, that's a review of the whole series. What's next? Well, there's two more messages in this series, this and one more. And in this message, I want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the minute I say fruit, 
you, if you know anything at all about the scripture, immediately think of Galatians chapter 5, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. And surely that is, as Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. But that is not the only fruit of the Spirit. I think that even in my own case, for years, I thought that was the list. And then somebody suggested that maybe there was things beyond that list that could be called the fruit of the Spirit. And then I stumbled upon this verse. In Ephesians 5, verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Ah, clearly, the same author that said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace in Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth in Ephesians chapter 5. My point being that the word fruit isn't restricted to the list in Galatians chapter 5. So what I want to do today is talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If, the whole, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, which means you are not grieving him, you are not quenching him, and you're walking in his direction, love, and dependence upon him, then what is the fruit? Let me say that same thing another way. What's the results? What kind of life would you be living if you were walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God to do the will of God? Well, I think that's a big, broad subject. So I'm going to restrict myself to some observations in Ephesians chapter 5. I think that passage lists five results of living this kind of a spiritual life. But before I get there, I'd like to do something else. To put this whole concept of the spiritual life, this walking by the Spirit, in context, I'd like to talk about the fact that the Apostle Paul actually says there are three ways to live life. So this is sort of an introduction. I'll get to the five results, but I want to talk about the three possibilities, one of which is walking in the Spirit, which is the focus. But to put that in context, I want to give you some other possibilities. All right? So here's possibility number one. You can live by law. Now, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And while you're turning, let me explain what's going on in the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey, went to the Roman province of Galatia. In other words, Galatia is not a city, it's more like a state with a number of cities in it. It was a Roman province, a Roman state. Uh, it's in modern-day Turkey. He established a number of churches in several different cities, and he left town. 
After he left town, some people came in and said, now, in essence, they said, it's good that you've recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, but in order to really please God, what you need to do is keep the Mosaic law. You've got to live by law. Now, that's why I ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. They started living by the Mosaic law. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 4 and look at verse 10. You observe uh, days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So Paul says, look, I'm writing this letter to you because you are starting to keep the Mosaic law. And he mentions specifically days, and that would include things like observing Saturday as the Sabbath. You're observing months, and that refers to some Mosaic legislation where there were monthly celebrations. Then he says seasons, and those were the feasts that took more than one day, like uh, Passover and Unleavened Bread was an eight-day observation. And then years were things like the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee. There are all kinds of uh, regulations and uh, so forth in the Mosaic Law, and they were starting to act like they were Jews instead of Gentiles. And of course they were Gentiles, but they were starting to keep the Mosaic Law. And so Paul says, you scare me to death. Did I not teach you? You need to be walking in the Spirit, not by the law. But this passage indicates that walking by the law is a possibility. Now, as this verse points out, they were already keeping days and months and seasons and years. Turn to chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, in verse 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ is not going to profit you anything. Now, the whole point of the book of Galatians is just this. They were, as Christians, they had trusted Christ. They recognized Jesus was the Messiah. That's not an issue. Then what they are doing is they are starting to keep the law, and they were about to go so far as to practice circumcision. The point of the book of Galatians is to prevent them from being circumcised. And what he's saying in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 is, if you go start living by law, then Christ isn't going to profit you anything. You think by keeping the law you're going to be right with God or please God or gain God's favor. And that's not the whole idea at all. The whole idea is that you be conformed to Christ. That's walking in the Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. But right now I want you to see that what Paul is saying is you are trying to live by law. So he emphatically declares you should not do that. Look at verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. 
Now, what he is saying in that verse is you have been free from the law. You do not have to keep the law. So don't. That's another way of life that no longer applies to those who have trusted Christ. Do not do that. So he says in verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. This is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. You ever talk to anybody who thought you could lose your salvation? And they, and they, they said, well, you can fall from grace. You ever, had, you ever had anybody tell you that? Well, look at what the verse says. What these people, the way it gets used is if you sin, you lose your salvation. That isn't what the verse is saying at all. It's saying if you try to be living by the law. It's the opposite of what they say. It's if I'm living by the law, you're trying to be justified. Then he says, if you do that, if you're trying to live by the law to please God, you have fallen from grace, meaning you're not depending on the grace of God. It has nothing to do with you being saved. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. You just aren't depending on the grace of God to live your life. Remember the verse, Hebrews 4.16, come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's what you've fallen from if you're going to say, well, I'm just going to live by law. Now, uh, before I go on, uh, I'm tempted to point out that uh, there are people today who think they've got to keep the law. There are actually people today who claim they're Christians and go to church on Saturday. As a matter of fact, there are a group of Baptists who go to church on Saturday. Do you know that? They're called Seventh-day Baptists. Imagine. Sounds like a contradiction to me, yeah. but they're there. All right? And, but, but beyond that, there are people who come up with some man-made mandates, mm -hmm. laws. And uh, when I first became a Christian, I was in... Uh, an environment where that was the case. They had the filthy five, the nasty nine, and the dirty dozen. And if you did those things, you had fallen out of fellowship with God. And some of you are shaking your heads like you know what I'm talking about. You, you ever been in that kind of environment? And so I didn't. I, before I became a Christian, I went to a movie once a week, and then I gave up movies. I'm, boy, am I spiritual. <laughs> I don't go to movies anymore. That's what I thought. That's living by law. Now, if you decide that you don't want to go to movies because they're horrible, that's another issue. That's fine. But don't think that that's going to win you brownie points with God just because that makes you spiritual or something. That's living by law. So the trick here is I'm doing this to please God or I'm doing this to uh, be justified, to use Paul's word, or sanctified, which is the subject later in this book. All right, so there are three options the way you live your life spiritually. And one is I'm going to do it by law. And Paul says don't do that even if it's God's law. Did that come through? Isn't that what he's saying? All right, here's the second possibility. Second possibility is, wow, I'm free from the law. I don't have to obey the law. Whee! I can go do anything I want. 
Now that's going to the other extreme. So look at verse 13. He says, For you, brethren, we're talking to Christians, we're talking to people who've trusted Christ for the gift of eternal life, have been called to liberty, that is, freedom from the law. Only do not use your liberty for an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, that's the second way you can live your life. I'm not going to live by law. I'm going to live by the flesh. Now, what's the flesh? Well, it's that thing wrapped around your bones. It's your body. And the word flesh is used in the Bible to refer to your physical flesh. However, uh, in this sense, uh, Paul uses it to refer to the tendency to sin. It's the uh, sin nature in the believer, not the physical skin wrapped around your bones, but rather it's the sin tendency in you. So if you live by flesh, you're just going to do whatever you want to do, and that's going to produce sin. Now, I think this is a very interesting observation. Paul is saying, you're living by law. Don't do that. You're freed from the law. You've been liberated from the law, literally what he says, verse 13. And so some use their liberty to go hog wild. And I've seen that happen. I've seen Christians grow up in a restrict environment, and it dawns on them one day, you know, they, what happens? They go to college. They get out of the house and go to college, and they go wild. Then they go to the other extreme and just live by the, by the flesh. I think that's a, a natural human tendency. Years ago, there was a fellow named Victor Frankl. He was a Jewish psychiatrist who was put in a German consecration camp. He survived, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. By the way, uh, it's obviously not a Christian book, but it's a fantastic book, and uh, you ought to read it. It's an interesting book. In that book, Frankel says, people suddenly released from mental pressure can suffer damage to their moral and spiritual health. Being free, they could use their freedom licentiously or ruthlessly. For some, the only thing that changed for them was that they were now not the op- uh, the, they were now the oppressors instead of the oppressed. They became uh, instigators, not objects of willful force and injustice. They justified their behavior, quote, based on their own terrible experience. No one has the right to do wrong, not even if the wrong has been done to them. End of quote. 
What I thought was so fascinating about that is here's a secular psychiatrist recognizing that when you've been in prison, like a concentration camp, bondage, and all of a sudden you're released, you could then live a reckless life. And that is exactly what Paul is saying is possible in Galatians chapter 5. So here are two possibilities. Number one, that you live by law. Number two, that you live by the flesh. You can guess what the third is. I've told you several times. Look at verse 13. He says, but through love serve one another. Ah, there's the possibility of living a loving life. Now drop down to verse 16. For this I say then, I'm talking about love, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So, this third kind of life is living a life of walking in the Spirit, which produces love, which produces love which you express by serving one another. So, he is simply saying that there's a third kind of way to live, and he calls it walking in love, he calls it service, he calls it walking in the Spirit. It's all the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. All right, how are we doing? Got the three possibilities? That's review. Possibility number one is you're going to live by the law. Possibility number two is you're going to live by the flesh. And the possibility number three is you're going to live by the Very good. Which one are you doing? You know, the answer to that question depends on what time of day you ask. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You know? I mean, the answer is all three. <laughs> now, obviously, the one I'm trying to get you to live by, me, including me, is walking in the spirit, which is walking in the sphere of love, which is walking by dependence on the Lord. Got it? Now, that was my introduction. <laughs> uh, what I'm really after is, all right, what happens if I do that? What's the result of doing? And to use Paul's word, what's the fruit of that? So I want to lay out for you five fruits of walking in the Spirit. So let's start by looking at verse 16. He's, uh, he says in 516, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Now, I've mentioned this last time, but let me just review. The little word in can mean walk in the sphere of the Spirit. And if that's the interpretation, which I lean toward, then the idea is you're walking in the sphere of love and service. You're thinking about other people, not yourself. At the same time, that little word in can also mean by means of. 
that you're depending on the Lord to give you the power to do what he says in his word. That is the way Paul says we live by the Spirit in Ephesians 3.16. So that is in the New Testament. And I suggest, let's put both of them together. And the illustration, as I pointed out last time, was a person walking by the means of crutches. They are walking, they're putting forth effort, but they are leaning on the crutch. So it's both effort and depending on the crutch to help you walk. In this case, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, gives us the direction to walk in, uh, as Paul would say in Ephesians 5, what pleases the Lord, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it. So, that's what we're talking about. Now, what's the result? Well, there are five, and three of them are negative. So look at verse 16. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the reason I went through these three possibilities, you've got to understand that to understand this verse. All right, if I walk in the Spirit, if, I, if I'm going to walk around concentrating on service and helping people and serving people and loving people by depending on the Lord to give me the grace to do that even when the person's unloving, then what? Well, I won't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Now, how does that work? Well, look at verse 17. For the flesh, lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you wish. So he is saying that if you walk by means of the spirit, you're walking in love, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh because those two things are mutually exclusive. They're contradictory. You can't do both at the same time. You cannot stand and sit at the same time. So if you're walking, you're not sitting. Or to put it another way, if you're walking around thinking about other people and loving them and serving them, that is the exact opposite of walking in the flesh and only pleasing you. So, the first result of walking in the Spirit is you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ah, very good. Now look at verse 18. The second is, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Ah, the second res result, or fruit, if you want to use that word, of walking in the Spirit is you're not going to be walking by, you're not going to be living by the flesh, and you're not going to be living by law. Now, all of a sudden, the whole message of the book of Galatians comes into focus. Those are the three possibilities. If you do the third, you're not going to do the first two. Now, I need to uh, chase a rabbit for a minute. You ready? I don't do this very often. Actually, it isn't chasing a rabbit. It's dealing with the text. I want you to look at verse 18 again. It says, if you are led by the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How do you get led by the Spirit? Hmm. When people start talking about the Holy Spirit, most Christians 
end up saying that you are led by the Spirit by some inner impulse that the Holy Spirit gives you and you know that is the will of God. Matter of fact, I used to think that was true. I've even taught that many, 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 many years ago. Uh, And then the more I studied the Scripture, the more I saw that that's not what that means at all. Now, uh, there is a teaching, a very common teaching, I'm in the minority, I'll admit that, that says that the spiritual life is the, the Holy Spirit giving you some kind of inner impulse. Now, the truth of the matter is, I've gotten the impulses. Uh, I get them, everybody gets them. And sometimes they have an uncanny way of working out. And sometimes they don't. Now here's the problem. Uh, The real problem is that's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, Virtually all serious uh, scholars that come to this, that study the scriptures say that being led by the Spirit is another way of saying being walking in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, in this passage, he says walk in the Spirit in verse 16. He says being led by the Spirit in verse 18. And in verse 25, he comes back and talks about walking again. So led is sandwiched between walking, and clearly it's a synonym for walking. But the practical problem is, if you get this nudge, you don't know whether it's from the Lord or not. I mean, it could be. Matter of fact, everybody I've ever read that worked in detail, that tried to deal with this, would concede that you could get a nudge that's from the devil. Right? Well, how do you know the difference? And they will say, well, it's got, it can't contradict the scripture. Well, that's interesting. But not, it seems to me, very conclusive. Because if that's the case, uh, what if the nudge you get the scripture doesn't comment on. It doesn't tell you for sure that that is the work of the Holy Spirit. You just don't know that. So, I do not think being led by the Spirit is some kind of inner impulse or nudge that you get. The Bible just doesn't talk like that. Now, you're going to say to me, yeah, but the Spirit spoke to Paul in the book of Acts. Right. And when he did, he spoke out loud. And if you tell me you're hearing voices, I really got problems with that. (laughs) So I just don't think the New Testament talks like that. Just read the epistles, and it just doesn't talk like that. Now, God talks to people in the Bible out loud in an audible voice. He did to Moses, and he did to some of the prophets. But that is not the way the Holy Spirit works daily in the life of a believer. That is not being led by some inner impulse or urge. Now, I said walking and being led are synonyms. Walking emphasizes the active part, I actually step out to obey the Word of God. And being led emphasizes the passive part of dependence. It's sort of like 
a blind man being led by somebody else. He's still walking, but he's being led. So he is dependent on somebody else showing him, leading him in the direction he should go. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the Spirit of God has to say to you, he's written you a letter. I have a bound copy. And if you do not have a copy, let me know. I will get you one. Okay? And I'm dead serious. Here's, here's the way the Spirit of God leads us. Matter of fact, the first thing I said in this series is the Spirit of Truth, which is what Jesus called the Holy Spirit, wrote the Scripture. He inspired men who were writing the Scripture. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, Thy word is truth. So he is the spirit of truth, and the word is truth, and that's how he guides us into all truth. It's through the scripture, and as you've heard me say before, and you will hear me say again, everything you need to know about the will of God is in the word of God. Just do what this book says. Don't worry about all this uh, other stuff. If you get urges, be careful. Could be safe. All right, end of rabbit trail. Here's what I'm telling you. There are three ways you can live. You can live by law, you can live by the flesh, or you can live by the Holy Spirit. If you live by the Holy Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you will not be living by law. Got it? All right, there's more. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, uh, dissensions, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, and the like. There's more to the list. I'm not going on, Paul says of which I told you before, and just as I've told you in past times, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right. Uh, These are the, back up to verse 19, these are the works of the flesh. You see that? Remember I told you there's three ways to live. One is by law, one is by flesh. If you want to know the work, he doesn't say fruit, you want to know the work of the flesh, he listed it for you. And here it is, and he said it's not exhaustive, and such things. There's more you could add to the list. And if you do that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the standard interpretation of inheriting the kingdom of God is entering the kingdom of God, and that if you, do, if you practice these sins, then you won't go to heaven. And there's two versions of that. One, you were never saved to begin with. That's called Calvinism. And the other is, you were saved, but you lost it. That's called Arminianism. Which one's true? Neither. Neither. Now, I want you to look at the list. You ever been envious? Well, I never committed murder. Well, that's in verse 21, too. But so is uh, things like Selfish ambition. You ever been jealous? That's in verse 20. 
You ever had an outburst of wrath? That's verse 20. Did you ever explode? Repeatedly? You practice that? Let me ask it this way. When was the last time? Ooh. Now, do you think if you had this outburst of wrath, that means you lost your salvation? No. Does it mean you never had it? Can a Christian have practiced outbursts of wrath? Hello. Well, then what does it mean to inherit the kingdom of God? It means inherit, not inner. There's a huge difference between entering the land and inheriting the land. This comes from the Old Testament. So that the 12 tribes went into the land to inherit the land, but one tribe didn't get an inheritance, the Levites. They were the priests and they didn't get an inheritance. They entered the land, but they didn't inherit the land. Or to put it in modern context, there's a huge difference between entering a house and inheriting a house. And just because you enter the house doesn't mean you inherit the house. So here's what Paul is saying. If you do, if you live by the flesh, which is possible, that's verse 16. A Christian can live by the flesh. If you live in the flesh, you will produce this kind of result. Not call fruit, call works. I'm calling it fruit. It's the result. It's the work. And you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, then flip it. If you walk in the Spirit, what will happen? You'll inherit the kingdom of God. This is the future reign of Christ on the earth. And according to other passages of Scripture, the point is that you will rule and reign with him on this earth. You will have an inheritance in the kingdom. So, here's the result, the fruit of walking in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, you'll not be under the law, and you'll not lose your inheritance. Nice? Would you like to have an inheritance? Walk in the Spirit. Amen? All right. I said there were five results. I've given you three. There are two more, and these are positive. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such... There is no law. (laughs) Excuse me. You do these things, you produce this kind, there's no law against you being loving. No law against you being full of joy and peace. No law against self-control. No law against this, you're free from law. Now, I want you to notice something. It says, but the fruit singular. Ooh. The fruit of the Spirit, and he lists nine fruits. Did Paul make a grammatical mistake? No. It's possible to say 
that this is saying that the fruit is love, and these other eight are, uh, are different types of expressions and manifestations of love. Think of it as an orange. It's one fruit with many different slices. Or if you want to, think of an apple and slice it up. Get it? All right. Now, also, it's a fruit. Now, one of the characteristics of a fruit is that it grows. So each of these virtues can grow. It's a fruit. I'm going to talk about that in the last message in this series, which is next time. But it grows. But for this time, I want to just look very briefly at the fruit. Now, you are to love. Uh, you have heard me say and others that that's doing something for the benefit of somebody else. It's seeking their highest good. It's doing what's best for them. There's joy, which is an inward delight, uh, which is not based on outward circumstances. Because you can count it all joy when you're in the midst of a trial. There's just this inner calm delight. Oh, that is so sweet. You have to experience, you have to bite that apple before you know what it tastes like. Or eat that orange before you know what it tastes like. Or eat that banana, my favorite fruit, until you know what that tastes like. There's peace, an inward tranquility, a serenity that comes from knowing that you're just walking with the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. You ready? Would you like to have love, joy, peace filling your life? Here's how you get it. You walk in the Spirit. You don't live by law. You don't live by the flesh. You live by the Spirit, which means I'm going to depend on the Lord to do what He tells me in His Word. And the, and the one focus of my life is loving people. That's it. Just go love people. All right, long-suffering. That's patience. Uh-oh, maybe we should keep moving. You have, a, you have a problem with patience? You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the greatest passages on love in all of written literature, and it's clearly the passage of love in the whole Bible, and it says... Uh, love doesn't do this, love doesn't do this. A bunch of those things are negative. Here's what it says. Love suffers long and is kind. The two main characteristics of love is, first of all, it's patient. So if you want to know if you're living a loving life, ask if you're living, if you're patient. Half the class just flunked. I mean, that is really tough stuff, isn't it? You've got to be patient. Amen. That includes with the dog and the cat. And oh yeah, people. Yeah. And traffic. And the car. And your wife. And your husband. I think we should move on. This is getting too convicting. Kindness. Kindness. 
which probably refers to a disposition because goodness is very similar to kindness. It's been called kindness in action or manifestation. One author says kindness is a question of disposition and goodness is in words and deeds. And again, it's the whole idea of loving people. Just be kind and be gracious and be gentle. We'll get to that in a minute. Faithfulness. You know what faithfulness means? Faithfulness. That's what it means. <laughs> You're trustworthy. Gentleness. This is one of my favorite words in all the New Testament. Um, I stumbled upon it many, many years ago. I just love this word. It, it, it means to be meek. It means to be considerate. But here's my favorite translation. Sweet reasonableness. That if you're really walking in the Spirit, there will be a sweet reasonableness about you. You will be a reasonable person. Now, I want to I camp here for just a second. I really think this one's important because I think when you're living according to the flesh, you're only thinking of what? Yourself. And those kind of people tend to get emotional real quick. Real quick. They react emotionally. Good, good illustration, indication that they're living by the flesh. If you're really growing by walk, learning to walk by the Word and the Spirit, then you will be a reasonable person. Matter of fact, there's a sweet reasonableness about you. I heard somebody the other day say that the only exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions. I've heard that before, <laughs> but I heard somebody say it differently. The only exercise some people get is jumping to conclusions and running off at the mouth. Be gentle. Just be gentle. Get the facts first. Get the facts first before you jump to conclusions and run off at the mouth. Be gentle. Be reasonable. Get the facts first. And then there is self-control, which is obviously nothing more than the mastery of one's desires and impulses without any reference to a particular impulse or desire. A spirit-led person has self-control. I spoke about this earlier in the series. A spirit-led person is never out of control. Some people teach that when you're Filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit as if you are out of control. And I dogmatically reject that because of this verse. You're, you're never to be out of control. You're dependent upon the Spirit of God, granted, but you are in control. All right. This is only the beginning of the list. As I mentioned earlier, that um, in Ephesians 5, there's goodness, righteousness, and truth called the fruit of the Spirit. So obviously this is not an exhaustive list. It is a suggestive list and includes many other things. Spiritual virtues, Christ-like maturity, 
is where I think this is headed. All right, let's review. If you're walking in the Spirit, there are five results. I've given you four. The first is you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The second is you will not be under the law. The third is you will not lose your inheritance. And the fourth is you will produce things like love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. Is that not good stuff? Yes. Then just do what the Scripture says. Walk with the Lord. There's one more. Drop down to verse 24. And to those who are Christ, having crucified the flesh and its passions and desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, verse 24 says that if you're doing this, um, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts and desires. Now, this is, this is where Paul gets a little heavy. This is really a reference to Romans 6. Remember, if you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. Your old life died. And you're baptized into his resurrection, you're alive to God. So what Paul is saying in these two verses, in a very packed fashion, is that if you live in the Spirit, you're made alive by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and I'm going to say it like this. You will be who you really are spiritually. You will have realized your spiritual destiny. You will be that person who is dead to your old man and alive to God. That's another positive. But the basic idea in all of this is you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I tried to summarize all this one time and I wrote, walking by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, being led by the Spirit, Galatians 5.18, keeping in step with the Spirit, which is the meaning of Galatians 5.25, are three different ways of viewing the same thing. The Holy Spirit has given the believer the line by which he walks through the inspired Scripture. As believers obey the Word and depend on the Spirit for enablement, they are said to be walking by the Spirit. They are the ones being led by the Spirit. So, that's being led by the Spirit, and that's what God intended, so you're being what God intended for you to be. All right, one more time. You're walking in the Spirit, which I just described. There will be five results. Number one, you will not be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Number two, you will not be living by law. Number three, you will not lose your inheritance. Number four, you will produce the virtues of Christ-like maturity that need to grow. And five, you'll be what God intended you as a believer in Jesus Christ to be. Amen. Does that sound appealing to you? Yes. Want to do that? Yes. That's your homework. It starts um, in about five minutes or ten minutes when the service is over, all right? You can start at lunch. All right. 
I want to summarize all this by going back to the beginning. Say it another way. I said you could live by the law, you could live by the flesh, or you could live by the spirit. If you live by the law, that's called legalism. If you live by the flesh, that's called license. And if you live by the spirit, that is called liberty. Okay? Got it? All right. Those who are taking notes want me to say it again. You can either live by the law, that's legalism. You can live by the flesh, that's license. Or you can live by the spirit, that's liberty. But here's the point I want to make. If you live, according to Paul in this passage, if you live by legalism, the fruit is bondage. You've got to walk around thinking, did I keep the law? Then you're going to add little laws to the big law to make sure you kept the law. You're going to be in bondage to law. If you live by the flesh, that's license, and the product of that is sin... And if you live by the Spirit, which Paul calls liberty in this passage, then you will produce a life of love and service. So, pick the results. You want bondage? You want sin? You want love and service? Pick the result and work backwards. If you want bondage, then live by the law. You want sin? Live by the flesh. You want Love and service, pick walking by the Spirit. Legalism produces self-righteousness and judgmentalism. You go live by the law and you make it, and you're going to judge everybody you think doesn't. License produces sin, and liberty produces service. So it's either self-righteousness, it's sin, or it's service. Got it? I think I've laid it out. So what you have to do is make a choice. And this is not something you can sit there in the pew and decide to do. It's, it's something you can sit there in the pew and decide to start doing. Okay? Uh, let me see if I can put all this in perspective. I've used this illustration before, but I can't think of a better illustration. You have a driver's license? You have a driver's license? Do you know what the speed limit is in the state of California? I know it depends on if you're in a school zone. You know what the normal speed limit is out on the highway? My license has come up for renewal, so this is real fresh in my head. Um, it's 65. Actually, the law is, it depends on the conditions. Because if the conditions are such, you can't go 65 and be obeying the law. Okay? All right, so suppose I told you the law is uh, 65, and there's the freeway. And it, this is one of those rare moments. I don't know how it happened. It's miraculous. There's no traffic. <laughs> and I told you, there's the freeway, go 65. Would you stay at 65? That's living by law. 
Matter of fact, Paul teaches in Romans chapter 7 that the law just urges you to sin. It's like telling the little boy he can't have the cookie before dinner. He's going to want that cookie all the more. So you tell somebody you're in the car and you can't go more than 65 and you go 69 thinking you'll get five miles grace. I do. Right? We just do, right? So how do you solve the problem? All right. You get married to my wife. <laughs> Which isn't a totally bad illustration. I know how I could fix it so that you would obey the speed limit every time without exception. Would you like for me to tell you how to do it? I'm going to put a policeman in the passenger seat. Would that do it? In a heartbeat. Right? That's what living by the Spirit is like. I started the series by saying the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? He is a passenger. So if you walk around thinking, I just want to walk with the Lord, want to do what He wants me, and it's not real tough, not like living by law, it's just the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Word. It's doing what God said. And the Lord is with me. And He will give me the power to do what He told me to do. So the Word of God tells me what to do. The Spirit of God gives me the power to do it. Father, thank You for giving us Your will and Your Word and thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish your will. Now, Father, may the Spirit of God so impress this upon our hearts and minds that we become more and more aware and conscious that we ought to be walking in the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.